Thank you so much for joining us for Ankeny Gospel Church Podcast. On this podcast, you can find sermons, classes, and other resources that continue to invite us into the mission of Jesus and the journey of faith. We hope this is a blessing to you, and if we can help you in any way, feel free to reach out. Good morning, everyone. For those of you that I haven't met, and I don't know if there aren't many, I'm Tom. I'm one of the pastors here. And we are just getting started into the book of Philippians. Last week, Parker whetted our appetite a little bit as he did kind of an overview for us. And uh, one of the things that he brought up that I thought was really, really relevant, especially for the book of Philippians, is that presumed familiarity uh, aspect of it. Because Philippians is a four-chapter book that you can read in literally like 15 minutes, uh, many of us have read it and are familiar with it. Its language is pretty easy to understand. And so we come to it and we think, okay, I get this. There's, there may be something in here that I, I need to pay a little bit more attention to. But overall, I got it. This is a book about joy and happiness and Paul's letter to his friends, trying to encourage them, and yada, yada, yada. And so we come to chapter 1 and verses 3 through 8, or 3 through 11, and, and we, we see here sort of an introduction. And I don't know if you're like me, but when I go to read a book, a lot of times I don't necessarily read the introduction. Or maybe if I do, I just sort of skim through it real quick to get to the good stuff, right? And so we come to Philippians and we look at this and we say, okay, well, this looks like introductory material. And then when I get down to verse 12 and he says, now I want you to know. That's, that's where the good stuff starts, right? But we would kind of miss the boat on that. And what we need to do is slow down and look at this passage because what Paul is doing here is setting the foundation for what he is going to cover in the rest of the book. And it is incredibly important that we understand what's going on here. We could look at this and we could say, you know, this is just... Paul's love letter to his friends. I mean, you just look at the words. It says in verse 3, I give thanks to God. Verse 4, he says, I'm praying with joy for you. Down in verse 7, he says, I have you in my heart. Verse 8, I deeply miss all of you with the affection of Christ. In verse 9, he says, "Uh, I pray this, that your love will continue to grow. It's got that really sappy language to it, doesn't it? that makes you think that, you know, I want to go watch a Hallmark movie after church. Well, not all of us, but... And so we get caught up in the words. We think, oh, well, that must be what he's talking about is his friendship with these people and his relationship with them. And if we just do a word study of all of those words, then we miss the point. What if I was to say to you this morning that that isn't the point of Philippians? Well, you can go out and buy hundreds of devotionals that'll tell you that it is, right? Philippians is all about joy. Philippians is all about friendship. Philippians is all about relationships. All of those things. And while for sure there is a component of that, but that's not the main point that Paul is trying to get to in this. And for us to get to that, we need to look a little more closely at what he's talking about. If we want to get to the important part of the book, we got to go below the surface level and we want to dig in this morning and we will find out three things. 
First of all, we're going to find out that it's more important, it's, it's more about fulfilling God's mission than making memories. So even though Paul says, oh, from the very beginning, I, we were together and all this stuff, it's not sentimentality. He, he is, and we'll get into more of that. Number two, it's more about the Lord's kingdom than Paul's friendships. And it's more about the eternal gospel than personal relationships. So you can see we're, we're, we're shifting our focus from the words that Paul is saying to these people, and we're putting it in the context of their common work, their common mission, the thing that brought them together in the first place. Now we're talking about something a lot more substantial than just, I miss you guys, it'd be fun to hang out, right? Because as Paul is writing this book, he's in prison, right? And they are over there and there's some disunity that we know about that was going on in the church there. And the people may have been going wobbly in the knees and getting a little bit discouraged. And Paul's concern was certainly for them because I think that he did have a a personal friendship with them. But I think his overriding concern was the work of the gospel there and that it, it not be slowed because there was an urgency in his mind for that. So as we're trying to wrap our mind around this, think about it in these terms. Have you ever heard the phrase, say it ain't so, Joe? Now, it doesn't have anything to do with our president, I, I, trust me. It has to do with the, believe it or not, the 1919 World Series game. Have you heard of Shoeless Joe Jackson? Well, in 1919, the White Sox had a superstar player called Joe Jackson, and he was amazing. And everybody was in love with this guy, and he was a fan favorite because there was one game that he bought a new pair of cleats, and they were rubbing his feet the wrong way, and he was getting blisters. So he took them off, and he played a major league game in his socks. And needless to say, the fans just loved this guy. And he was an unbelievable player, and he led their team to the World Series. Well, just before the World Series, one of the other guys on the team and a local gambler put together this idea that they could make a lot of money if they could get a handful of the players to throw the game for money. And some of the guys took them up on it and they were in on it. And there was some controversy on whether or not Joe was involved in that. Money was delivered to him, but he had denied that he was ever a part of that or anything. But needless to say, they went on to lose the game. And so he went from being the hero to being at best suspect and at worst a traitor to the team. Just like that. That was the foundation of that relationship with the fans and the players. It wasn't so much the personal relationship, it was the relationship for the mission of the team. They were all about the mission of the team. That's why they had the relationship in the first place, right? That's what Paul is getting to here with these believers in Philippi. It's like, yes, I, 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 I like you, I love you, I care about you and all this stuff, but remember why, why we're friends in the first place. It's because we are advancing the gospel. Remember what God did. Remember that he came into 
your area and Lydia, he, he saved your soul. Remember the girl who was demon possessed, how that he saved her, he opened her eyes and he saved her. Philippian jailer, remember what it was like when you were sitting there and the earthquake happened and you looked and all the gates were open and you thought you were a dead man so much that you were gonna take your own life and God saved you. God started this work in the very beginning. That was God. That was not me. That was not my eloquence. That was not you. That was not any of us. This was God that did this from the beginning. This is his work. And he is going to continue it. And Paul was looking and he was getting a little concerned that they, they needed to hear that again. It wasn't just a, I miss you. We've got to hang out soon. It was the work of the gospel is at stake here, and we have got to keep going. So as we think about his partnership with the Philippian people, his ultimate gratitude while he expresses some to them is to God. You, you see that right in, right in the verse it says, I thank my God. His thanks is to God. Is he thankful for them and their partnership and the work that they do and all that? Absolutely. Is he appreciative for the efforts that they're doing? Absolutely, but he understands one thing, that the reason they're doing that is because of God. God had moved in their life. God had worked in their heart. God had put this thing together, and God was doing the work. And so he wanted to make sure that they understood that fully. The key to rightly and more fully understanding the opening of this letter and, and how it establishes the foundation for the rest of the book is that we understand that, that God is the one that started the work and that the bond that he's talking about is not a friendship of human relationships, but it is a common bond through the gospel of Jesus Christ. And he wanted to shore that up and make sure they understood that. So as we look at verses three through 11, it's divided really neatly for us into two different sections. The first section is about Paul's thanksgiving, but you know the way I am, I love alliteration, so in the interest of alliteration, we're gonna call it Paul's prayer. And the second part, verses nine through 11, is uh, Paul's prayer for them. So we have Paul's thanksgiving, or Paul's praise, and Paul's prayer, the two different sections. And the first one, verses three through eight, he says in verse three, thanks to God with joy. As you're reading God's word, you should put into practice asking questions. As you're reading through the Bible, don't just read it just to read it, read it to understand it. And so as we look at, at verse three, he says, I give thanks to my God for every remembrance of you, always praying with joy for you all in my every prayer. The first question should be, why? Why was he thankful to God for these people? What was it that he was thankful for? We should always be asking questions as we read God's word and not assuming that that's probably what that means. Slow down and take some time, ask some questions and seek to understand why, why it is that that was said. You know, if, if I were to walk up to you this morning I would say, I'm so thankful for you. Every time I think of you, I just have joy that wells up in my heart. I'm just, I'm just so thankful for you. 
first thing you'd probably do is step back, but then you would say, why? You'd want to know why, right? It's the same thing with God's word. We should seek to understand why, and don't, don't rush through it. So the why is answered in the verses to follow, okay? Starting at verse 5. In verse 5, it says, because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. So here is why he is so thankful for them. Because of their partnership in the work of the gospel. God has provided partners for him and God will complete the work. So remember Paul had everything in life. He had everything this life had to offer. He had family, he had wealth, he had position. He was a Pharisee of Pharisees, he had respect. He had everything that you could ever want. And then God stepped into his life and saved him in a dramatic way. Radically, radically changed the trajectory of his life. It cost him relationally everything with his family. And so here is Paul, this guy that gave up everything, and he's itinerantly going around the world preaching the gospel, and people are looking at him like, I don't know what to think about this guy. And in the meantime, he's getting beaten and shipwrecked and thrown in jail. And the one thing that he cares about is the gospel. The one thing that drives him through all of this is the gospel. And so when he sees that God is doing a work in the, in the lives of other people and they're coming alongside of him for the work of the gospel, he's thankful because he knows he's one man and he's limited in the amount of impact that he can have in the world for the gospel. And so for every person that God brings alongside of him, that's a force multiplier for the gospel, right? And he is so thankful that God is equipping people to advance the gospel and it's just not on his shoulders. And so that's one of the reasons why he is thankful for these people. And then the second thing he says is that God will continue the work until the day of Jesus Christ. God is the one who started this work. And can we just stop for a second and, and just admit that as Parker said last week, this verse has been so horribly mistreated through the years that God who has started a work in you will complete it till the day of Jesus Christ. And we have taken that and said, God called me to go do X, Y, and Z. And everybody comes around and says, that means that he is going to make it a success. He is going to wildly, beyond your dreams, provide, and it's going to be awesome. Can we all agree this morning that that's not what this verse is talking about at all? What this verse is talking about is the fact that God went into Philippi, and he opened the eyes of some individuals to the truth of the gospel and he saved them and he started a gospel work in that place and that gospel work will not be snuffed out. It says in the gospels that the gates of hell will not prevail against the gospel. Satan would love nothing more than to snuff out the gospel and he can't do it. And Paul knows that. He's saying, 
God started this work amongst you. Be encouraged. Lydia, be encouraged. Jailer, be encouraged. I know things aren't perfect. I know there's some dissension, there's some disunity, but be encouraged because it's God that started this and he will be faithful to his work. Don't get discouraged by the things that you see, by the things around you. So when it says that he's going to continue this until the day of Jesus Christ, think about that. I, I always go back to Acts, the beginning of Acts, where Jesus, after his resurrection, he's standing around, he's talking to these disciples, and all of a sudden, and I know I've mentioned this before, but it's just so astounding that as they're talking to him, he starts to go up into the sky. And they stand there, and they just watch him go up, and it says the clouds you know, covered him up as he went. And they're just standing there. I have to be in amazement, first of all, at what they've just seen, that physically this man just disappeared. And as they're standing there, then all of a sudden these two figures, these two guys in white next to him said, why do you stand looking up? The same Jesus that just left is coming back. And Paul sees that. He says, there's an urgency about the gospel. Jesus is coming back. And God will be faithful to his work until he does. And he has blessed us to give us the opportunity to be the use of him for the advancement of the gospel here in this place. He wanted to encourage them. He did not want them to be discouraged. Now down to verse seven. <clears throat> he's not only thankful that they partnered with him in the work but he's also thankful that they are partners with him in the gift. In verse seven, it says, indeed, it is right for me to think this way about you all because I have you in my heart. You are all partners with me in grace, both my imprisonment and the defense and confirmation of the gospel. So they are partners with him in the work of the gospel. They are also partners with him in the gift of the gospel, and he wants to remind them of that, is that it is God's work that he has done. And yet, this is where he's sort of talking to them about their relationships inside the church, right? He's saying, it's, it's kind of like this. Have you ever been on a sports team where you didn't necessarily like everybody that was on your team, <laughs> especially maybe a pickup game or something, like basketball or soccer? And you know that if you make that pass, that guy's going to score because he's right under the basket. And I know that when he scores, he's going to do that stupid little dance thing that he does, and he's going to draw attention to himself, and it's going to just, I'm just so done with that. I don't even want to pass him the ball because even though it's what's best for the team, I don't want to do it, you know? And sometimes we get like that when we start looking at each other and not the overall goal of what it is that God has called us to do. And he's saying, I'm thankful that you are partners in the grace that God has given you. Don't forget that. He's wanting them to remember who they were before Christ. Remember what your life was like before you received the grace of God that changed everything for you. 
Remember what that was like? Can you remember what that was like? He says, but God stepped in and he gave you the gift of grace. And he did the same thing for me. And we are partners in that. And because of that, we can go out and we can be used of him to advance the gospel. And he says, I long for you. He says, God is my witness. I long for you with the affection of Christ. This to me is a convicting one because the affection of Christ, the actual words that are used there are from your innermost parts, your bowels, the love that Christ has for you is so deep in his soul. I'm thinking, wow, how do I pull that off? You know, I, I mean, you guys are all nice and all, but that's a, that's a level of affection and love that most of us don't tap into very often. And the way that we tap into that is, is spelled out here in, in the next section when he talks about uh, his prayer for them. You see, it's not natural for us to gin up that kind of affection. We can try, you know. I can say, you know, Dylan, your great friend, awesome guy. I'm, I'm going to try, okay? That's, that's the best that I can do. But you know what? I'm going to fall short. Because where this affection comes from isn't from the things that we have in common. It isn't from shared experiences. It isn't even because he's got the cutest kids in the church. Well, you know. <laughs> it's because of the common bond that we have in Jesus and me understanding that Jesus loves him so much and understanding the value that he has in the eyes of Jesus. You know, if I say I love Jesus and I don't love somebody that Jesus loves, can you see the problem there? Are you friends with anybody currently that hates the person that you love the most? Think about the person that you love more than anybody else. Imagine having another friend that can't stand that person that you love the most. That's going to be a problem, right? So let's get on to the next section. The first section was Paul's praise, his encouragement, his thanksgiving. The second one is Paul's prayer. This is in verses 9 through 11, and we're going to go quickly through that. In verse 9, he says, And I pray this, that your love will keep on growing in knowledge, and in every kind of discernment. So the first thing that he prays for, the overarching thing that he prays for is their love will keep on growing. That is the first and the most important thing. And this love is the agape. You've probably heard of the different kinds of love. The storge, which is like family love, oh, the friendly love, the eros love, the, the, the romantic love. Well, this is the agape, the supreme love, the most powerful love that there is, is the agape love. And he is praying that their love will keep on growing and abounding even more and more, because that's going to be the key to their unity. That's going to be the key to the advancement of the gospel, is that their love grows more and more and more. Agape is 
according to one definition that I read, uh, the word agape is used in the Bible, it refers to pure, willful, sacrificial love that intentionally desires another's highest good. There's a lot of words in there, isn't there? But basically it's selfless. Um, and then I saw a quote from um, Martin Luther King Jr. He said, agape is disinterested love, which I, it's kind of a provocative thing. He says, agape does not mean, does not begin by discriminating between worthy and unworthy people or any qualities people possess. It be begins by loving others for their sakes. Therefore, agape makes no distinction between friend and enemy. It is directed toward both. Agape love is the overflowing love of God the Father. And it is without discrimination. It is without merit. We can't deserve God's love. It is, it is sh shared with us freely. And that is what Paul is saying. That's the love that you have to be growing in more and more and more and more. How do you do this? Well, there are two areas that he wants them to grow in. Number one is in knowledge. He says, I want your love to keep on growing, number one, in knowledge. Now, the problem with knowledge is a lot of times when we grow in information, knowledge, what does that generally tend to do? If you're in a room and you know more information about a topic than somebody else, it tends to puff us up, right? And we think, oh, I'm smarter than everybody in the room. I know more about this topic. That's not what it's talking about. It's talking about the fact that he wanted them to know God more as revealed through God's word. What, is Bible, what does the Bible say about God and how awesome and how great he is? The more that I understand God and how he thinks and how he works and, and, and his holiness and his power, the more that I know him, the closer I am going to want to be with him. And so... Not only are we supposed to grow in knowledge, but we're also supposed to grow with all perception and understanding. He says, in every kind of discernment. Discernment is being able to take knowledge and use it. Use it in your life, use it for the effect of others, but to know what to do with the knowledge. It doesn't do any good if I memorize every word in the Bible and I don't have any understanding of any of it. It's useless. And Paul says, I want you to know God and I want you to know God so that you'll be able to discern what is the superior thing. There, there are four things that discernment will give us. The first thing is it will be able to approve the superior thing. Number two, so that we may be pure. Number three, so that we may be blameless. And then lastly, so that we will be filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ. If we are able to grow in our love by growing in knowledge and by studying and understanding and being able to discern, we will be able to be transformed by God's word. You know, we are being formed every day. You know that, right? You are being formed every day. It's by what? Romans says, don't be transformed by the world. So we are either being transformed by the world or we are being transformed by God. We want to be transformed by God's word so that we may be pure. 
so that we can have a pure understanding, that we can be pure in our thoughts and in our motives and that we can be blameless in our actions towards others, that we can rightly understand God's will and we can live it out in our lives and we can be filled with the fruit of righteousness. Galatians chapter five, you should read it sometime. It talks about the fruit of the spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, goodness, kindness, gentleness, all of those things are the fruit that is born out of a life that is filled with the spirit of God, the holiness of God. This is Paul's desire for the Philippians that they experience this as brothers in Christ, as sisters in Christ, and that they can encourage one another. And we're going to, when we get to chapter four, we're going to see two ladies called out, Yudia and Syntyche, about the, the disunity that they have. And so we see that his concern is, is right, and it's always at our doorstep. Whether it's in your personal life, your work life, your church life, whatever, disunity is always at our doorstep. So how do we fight against it? How do we fight against this scourge of disunity? We have more, we need to realize that we have more in common with fellow believers, people who are partners in the work of the gospel and people who are partners in, in the gift of grace. We have more, more in common with those people than we do all the other people in our life. Now, there's a reason why we don't have family reunions every day of the week, you know? <laughs> They're family, but we're not that close, all right? And there are reasons why, you know, people grow up and they leave home. Love mom and dad, but I can't stay there my whole life. Those bonds, as strong as they are, are not as strong as the bond that we have in Jesus Christ and his gospel. And that's what Paul was wanting them to hear and know that they have a bond together. Yeah, they may disagree on some things or whatever, but their bond is strong in the gospel and their work is urgent and they need to be about it. Can you see it's much more than just, uh, hey, I miss you guys, I wanna come hang out sometime. There is an urgency that Paul felt about what was going on. So the ability to maintain, the ability to have and maintain the true strong bond that produces unity is grounded in our agape love of the gospel. If we want to have and enjoy a strong bond of unity as believers in Christ, and by that I mean in our homes, in our church, in our city with other believers in our city and around the world. If we have any hope of doing that, it has to be grounded in our commitment, conviction, and dedication uh, to the gospel of Christ. And then lastly, what can we do this week to grow in our agape love for the gospel more and more. You think, well, what does that even mean? This is what that means. Agape love is a, is a love of action. It is a love of intentionality. It's a love that takes some effort on our part to go out and to learn more about God, to know more about God, to be transparent with God, to reveal our sins to God and ask for his forgiveness, 
and ask him to make us pure in his sight so that we can be used for the advancement of the gospel and to do the things that Paul was encouraging the Philippians to do because it's important. And brothers and sisters, this morning the gospel is urgent. We, we, we sit here 2,000 years after Christ is gone and we think it's been a long time, it'll be a long time. We've got all the time in the world and none of us knows if we're gonna make it home after church. The gospel is urgent and you have a role and a part in it. This is the message that Paul was saying to the Philippian believers, don't get sidetracked. So this morning as you think about it, you think what is it that I can do this week to grow in my agape love for the gospel? And only you can answer that. And it's gonna take more than just a couple minutes here this morning. I hope that you take that question home with you and think there's an urgency in my involvement in the advancement of the gospel here in this place. And I want to grow in my commitment to that so that when I come to church next week, there will, there will be a change from where I am this morning. Let's pray together. Lord, we're so thankful for Paul. What uh, an unexpected uh, vessel for your message. Certainly nobody in his time would have ever thought he would have been the person that you would have used, but you did. And we may sit here this morning and think you would never want to use us, but you do. Help us to fight against the lie that God could never use me. Lord, you, you use the uh, people in Philippi, you use Paul, and you can use us, and you want to. May our love, our agape love for you and for your gospel continue to grow more and more. May you give us knowledge and discernment that we can live lives that you can use to advance the kingdom, your kingdom. We're so humbled to consider what you have done this morning. We're so thankful. And I just pray that uh, your word would go out and do a mighty work in this city this week. Pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks again for listening, and we pray this was a blessing to you. If you have any questions or comments about what you heard, our email is info at com, or you can find us on social media at Ankeny Gospel. Thank you.